Hi, and welcome to episode seven of our podcast. Uh, In today's episode, we welcome Jill Gibson from The Last Word. Uh, Jill, welcome. And uh, please, would you introduce yourself? Well, hi, Ross. Thank you very much for having me on your podcast. Yeah, I'm Jill Gibson. Uh, My business is called The Last Word, and it's copywriting and content services. So I work with a variety of clients to help them get their message across, whether that's on their website or by doing regular blogs or newsletters or social media posts, whatever kind of communications they're using to put themselves in front of their clients, their existing or potential clients. And I help them with that copy side of things um, my method particularly is talking to them I don't like working off a dull email brief or just a list of bullet points I think that leads to something that could be a bit bland or generic I find if you talk to people I kind of shut up and let them talk but if I <laughs> listen to them uh, ask some good questions then I can see the twinkle in their eye I can see when they get really animated I can see what the kind of passion points are and that then really helps me to craft good copy I feel like I'm trying transcribing their words that's brilliant so thank you Jill Um, and obviously the reason we've got you on today because we want to talk about um, why most marketing copy misses the mark so obviously great introduction there um, based on the way you work obviously we've known each other now for over a year Um, I know you do an amazing job and I thought who better to to get on this podcast to help um, our, our listeners listeners and subscribers to start to understand what why marketing copy misses the mark what they should be doing and kind of to dive straight in i'd like to kind of just pose a question to you as to what are the most common mistakes that you see businesses making when it comes to their copy i think probably the most common one is when the businesses talk from their side instead of thinking about the clients that they're talking to and putting them in their shoes so uh, a website that starts off by saying oh we're really well established or this uh, it's like boring people don't really want to they want to know that somewhere but a lot further down don't hit them with the we are this and we are that because actually people want to know how you're going to fix their problems how you're going to address their needs how you're going to help them what you've got that they need I think as well with the modern world of websites because your website is your window to the world it's your shop window it's working for you all the time even when you're asleep and you don't know what kind of people are going to look at your website no matter what your target market is the people who land on your website will have different learning styles so I used to be a teacher and I, I was a, a teacher I taught Latin and classics up to A level in Oxbridge and when I would explain some point of grammar and put it on the board I knew that some people would be getting it straight away by looking at what I was writing on the board other people might not be looking they'd be listening to my explanation they'd be listening and taking it in orally and then the third group wouldn't get it either of those ways and that wasn't anything about being stupid they just needed to do it practically they needed to get stuck into some actual exam so people have different learning styles And sometimes websites are very kind of one dimensional. They think they're talking to all one type of person and you're not. So you need to vary the type of content. Some people will want text, they want, but some people don't. They want to look at pretty pictures or they want to see a video. So you need to make sure you're kind of hitting those different learning styles. And the other thing is design over content. You know, some people will come say to a a cool company like yours to get a really beautifully designed website and then they'll put crap content in there. They won't have thought about the content in the same way that they thought about the look and the design and they feel. So I think 
it can be a real problem when people sacrifice content for design. Definitely. And I, that's a really interesting um, point you bring up there, because we see it a lot where people will want something designed. They'll think about, oh, this is what I want, but they won't think about the content at that point. And really the design, good design should be based around the content. You should have the content first in order. How can you know something will look good unless you know what we're making look good? And that's exactly. the content. Yeah. And I end up retrofitting content to websites that are already designed quite often because people have gone for the design first. So then they say, oh, it looks like this. And I'm like, well, you do re realize then that you need to have exactly the same length of text for each of those pretty boxes that you've designed and stuff, because otherwise it's going to look or, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's much easier if you can collaborate in the early parts of a design for it because exactly then the content yeah. and the design can go more hand in hand. But even if they've got a reasonable idea of what content they want, I think one of the really big mistakes is not running it past a proofreader, is not letting somebody else check it. I, I've seen it about three times in the last few days where compliment is spelt wrongly on a website and it's meant to be complement with an E, but they're spelling it. And depending on what your business is, that can just make you look quite amateur so uh, yeah completely yeah, you yeah. it's like people might think if you can make your mistakes in what you're doing you're going to make exactly. mistakes in what you're doing for them yeah yeah if, like if you're a sign writer if you're a sign writer or a printing company and there are mistakes on your website yeah. i wouldn't use you because i think you're going to let mistakes creep through in the materials that you print yeah. for me so yeah, yeah. it's interesting because as well going back to the point where you said about people like the kind of design before the content i my view on it because we still get it a lot and it'd often be the uh, uh, business would come to say no but it's fine we'll sort that but we need it because they have a, a specific deadline and it's like it's crazy I, I think a big thing of it is mindset for them I don't think they really understand or see the importance of content I think they people think they're just words they actually don't understand the job that they do and mm. actually how much of a part they play in actually say if it's on a website converting that user grabbing their attention within the few seconds that they've got to be able to say yep I'm in the right place this person can help me achieve x y and z Definitely. so I like to yeah. see your point about um, business a lot of businesses talk about themselves almost very brochure like we yeah. do this we offer that but actually nobody really cares <laughs> uh, what what they do you're right it's more about how can you help me? Can yeah. you help me or can you help me achieve my dreams or my desired outcomes, whatever they are? So um, in your, do you have any examples of any kind of good and bad um, kind of marketing copy that you've seen or how somebody, any of our listeners could tell the difference or maybe even review their own site and say, actually, well, have I written for the, for, the, for the customer, for them, or have I written about myself? Yeah, I think I think one really important thing is, is the homepage is what do people see as soon as they land, because to find good info further into the website, they've got to have invested in you enough already that they want to look at your website more. So I think it's always really important to look at what's the first thing that they're going to see and read on the homepage. I think that's one of my number one things. And um, the other thing is people rabbiting on about features instead of benefits. So people talk a lot about fab statements, features, advantages and benefits of your product. So like, you know, say when, I don't know, Apple changed their phone to have the same um, uh, connector for yeah. headphones as for, you know, 
people don't really care that you've got a two millimeter kit, whatever. It's the fact that the phone is now slimmer and fits in your pocket better and so on. It's the benefits of it rather than going on and on about the feature. And so needing one charger, needing one charger for both. That yeah. instant, that's that's value to me as an end, end user. Exactly. And that's what I, I found a really good one on a marketing website called DevEdge. And it was about going camping and their mattress has two inches more insulation. And they said, but nobody really cares about that. It's the fact that you're warm and you're cozy and you're comfortable and you wake up refreshed. And then you can wax lyrical about toasting the marshmallows over the fire and whatever. You kind of create the dream. And the yeah. feature is almost like the last Last thing you're mentioning it's like because of our two inches of extra insulation yeah. but actually you kind of paint that picture you do some of the imagining for them yeah so, and there's definitely a marketing message in a message around have an extra two inches I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure there's something to be said there that could grab attention <laughs> but it's like if it's boring if it's boring people are going to switch off and I think one of the really important things is don't hide your best copy like on tab 17 I was looking at a, a website recently for somebody and they have a case study really hidden away but they saved that customer so much money they should have that on the homepage. They should have some snippety bit of that because you would look and you think, I want some of that. Wow, I didn't know that asset finance could take away my money worries or whatever. Having the boring, oh, we're a well-established company in this area, da, 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 it's just a bit dull. And are people going to stay on the website long enough to start reading those case studies and finding that? Yeah. And it's, an, it's an interesting point around case studies because one of the things that I see a lot um, from uh, businesses we work with and just uh, lots of them out there in the market is that when they talk about a case study or some work they've done, they won't think about what information is really important. So they might say, uh, it's going to be a bad example, but so, uh, I redeveloped this website for a client. Okay, great. People might care a little bit about what it looks like. But if you said we developed this website and increase conversion rates by 20 yeah. percent, suddenly you've got people's attention now because you're talking about an outcome that they want for why they would invest in a website in the first place. And it's crazy how people aren't thinking about actually what's the message to get across to to, to make investing in that piece of content in the first place the the, the like worth the time. And the exactly. same thing, what's the value added? What's the value added that that brings them? Yeah, and the same thing with testimonials. A lot of people will, when they're showcasing the testimonials, obviously you can't control what people write on Facebook and Google, that's up to them. But if you're showcasing those things on your, on brochures or website, you can pull out the bits of nuggets that are good. If somebody just says, loved it, great service, that doesn't really say much. If they said super efficient, turned it around in uh, so many like in, in 24 hours, 100% accuracy, talked about the things that actually people are looking for, might make buying decisions, and then just that bit of information so you're a bit more respectful of people's time. People aren't just going to read loads of nonsense for the sake of it. Well, as you said, sometimes it's picking out those little nuggets, and I got a really nice testimonial from somebody that was quite long, but there was one sentence in it, and it said it was like, she described me, she said, it was like having your best friend beside you who only wants the best for you, and I thought, isn't that a really nice way of putting it, that it was more than just 
writing some content for her. Um, so yeah, it's getting, it's, it's drilling down, I think, and finding those little bits of gold dust and putting the testimonials are great on a homepage, definitely a good thing. And the other thing as well is like blogs. For me, the main reason for somebody writing blogs, unless they're just a professional blogger, um, is to bring people to their website. It's the idea of having fresh, regular content, because obviously the little Google bots like that because they see that yeah. you're updating it regularly. But blogs themselves are quite transient. You know, they have their moment and then they're gone. So I think it's really important to have a good page where you put your blogs and don't date them. Don't put them in a date because that's like an archive. Why would somebody want to go back to February? 2020 but if you have pretty pictures and crazy not crazy titles but really catchy attention grabbing titles people won't think about the date they'll think oh that blog really speaks you know that you can have a really good place to put your blogs you make them much more um recyclable and reusable than just that one-off blog that you posted that month yeah, this is a really interesting topic actually because um something that um that's changing in google one of the things google likes at the moment is because obviously google's always evolving its algorithms improving is yeah. it likes what i like to call live blogs it google now is kind of getting a bit sick of having these this big problem of loads of people creating content for the sake of for content sake that it's people are ranking for content hints and tips that are five years old that yeah. actually so now what google's favoring over um, traditional kinds of blogs is blogs that get updated regularly so if you write a blog and say the top 10 seo tips to 2021 then rather than me create a new blog next year update it the top 10 20 tips 2022 and then add to it maybe make it the top 12 add the additional ones talk about the changes and so everything is evolving but too many people think out there i just need to do the same thing and let it go out of date and not to worry but actually it's, it's thinking about the, the end user and actually, is it going to be useful or are you just doing it for the sake of it? So that's something interesting. Yeah, I think content that's just for the sake of it is always going to end up becoming a bit generic because your heart's not in it. I think you've got to think what I do with every client, and no matter what they've come to me for, I basically say, what are you trying to say? Who are you yeah. saying it to? How do you want them to feel? And what do you want them to do? Because if you don't know what you want them to do, then what's the point in writing the content in the first place? If you're, you know, is there a call to action? Do you want them to subscribe to your newsletter? Do you want them to come and listen to your webinar? You know, what, what is it that you're trying to achieve with your content? And that's true whether it's your website or whether it's your newsletter or whether it's your LinkedIn bio or whatever it is, you need those words to capture an essence of you and what that message is. So you've got to think about the message first. Well, exactly, because you're, you're so right there, because too many people don't think about the objective of the communication. And if there's no objective, how do you measure the yeah. return, whether it was worthwhile doing? Yeah. Um, and I think that's something, do you find that a lot of um, business owners, when you speak to them, that they're actually, do they do they firstly know their objective? And two, do they, do they measure it? Very varied, I would say. Um, almost like 50-50, yes, some are very good and they know exactly what they want to achieve. Others, totally all over the place, hadn't really thought about it till they got into the call with me and I start asking those questions. And um, I think it is, 
interesting. I, mean, I think it is really good to measure. I think if people haven't already got Google Analytics and, and you know, yeah. whatever on there, they need to use that because then you can see the difference when you change. You don't necessarily have to pay for a really expensive measuring tool like SEMrush or whatever. Just Google Analytics will give you some really decent basics on how long people are staying on your site, how many of them are looking at different pages and so on. Um, I do think some businesses, I think there are two groups of people who don't necessarily write their own copy. There are the people who are perfectly confident about doing it, it's just time. They're so busy running the business or doing whatever it is yeah. that they do, they just don't have time to write all their own blogs or do all their social media posts or their newsletters. So they're good for me because they actually know what they want, they just don't have yeah. time to do it themselves. And then there's the other group, which is completely different, where it's all about confidence. They either feel like transporting back to English class and oh my god they're going to make me read aloud and I don't know what to say or they kind of freeze as soon as they sit down to write something they go oh don't know where to start type thing and sometimes that group are the ones who need to be um persuaded into thinking a little bit more about what they want to get out of it and um, but several don't really measure it it is interesting how many people don't really have much of a clue how much activity they're getting on their website or how many clients they're getting from it and so on so definitely something that people should be doing more of yeah, because I mean, an, an interesting stat that I think from a blog perspective that people probably wouldn't look at in one of the ones that Google has a lot of focus on from an SEO perspective is dwell time. So how long is somebody spending on your website? And a blog is a great way to keep somebody there for a long time, but it has to be a quality blog. And yeah. you have to think about sectioning with titles that make the reader want to read on because yeah. I think a lot of time people who invest in content, I say invest, it could be the, their own time or it could be externally. They don't necessarily, they're like, okay, this is what I want. They don't, again, put themselves in the shoes of the person who's going to be reading it and say, what, should they read it all? Does it really need to be that long? Have you got enough real information? Is there yeah. enough unique information there to make it something they haven't seen before? Otherwise, why, why would they continue reading? Exactly. Like if you wouldn't read it yourself, why would anybody else? Like if you don't and and I think you've made a really good point there. We have turned into a nation of skimmers and scan readers. It's really important to break things up and make it little bite-sized chunks. Anything where there's like three long, chunky paragraphs, it's going to be a real turnoff for lots of people. They'll just look and think, oh, too many words, you know, and they won't yeah. want to. So breaking it up, little subheadings, bite-sized chunks, making it really accessible um you know and it's funny because i was doing one recently and it was about top 10 reasons for something and actually it ended up being longer than maybe my normal because 10 reasons by the time you've described what the reason is you've probably reached half of your 600 words or so but like you say google likes some long content as well because then that improves the dwell time so exactly. yeah but it's interesting because i think blogs can be quite multi-purpose if people are savvy with them so i would always give people or they can if they want me to write blogs for them they can pay a bit more and i'll do three social media posts for them as well so they can get three good linkedin posts from that one blog or it could be across three different platforms they might say oh actually i use LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram or whatever. So yeah. that way you're already getting a bit more mileage out of your blog because you're also using it for social media traction. Yeah. Another thing people often will create content and they'll post it or share it once and then they let it kind of fall to the wayside when it, there is absolutely that's just wasting it. Like you should be 
posting it every few weeks, the same thing, just put a different spin on it, give people another reason why they should read it. Um, but just, I just wanted to kind of um, to go, go back to a point you mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, and that was on calls to actions, because one of my um, kind of biggest bugbears is when you see calls to action that don't really tell the user what they're going to get. It can be like just um, click here or submit. And it's like, but why? What am I getting? What's the, what's the, and it's like, actually, I feel like um, it's so frustrating because people just, it's, it's like they can't get out, they can't think outside of the box to actually think, why would somebody want to fill in this form? What are they going to get as a result? So if it's uh, for a quote, rather than just saying, uh, like, get, get a quote, it'll be, get, get your quote now to save money on your, tell them what they're going to get. They're going to save money. What's the thing? Why should they apply for that quote with you? What are they getting from it? Do you have any, what's your kind of, do you have any um, hints or tips on what people can do around calls to actions? Well, I think my bugbear like you is, is submit. Submit is not a call to action. Submit is about the most boring thing you can put on a website. I think even if who wants to submit, it doesn't, it just, it just has nothing about it. Yeah. And I, and I know it's not quite answering your questions. It's a little bit like when email addresses change to saying hello at whatever the web, rather than just info or admin or office at hello immediately made it friendlier i think innocent smoothies were one of the first ones to do that it was like hello at innocent and um, so yeah i think as you say it depends whether it's an it depends whether it's a button because obviously if it's a button it still needs to be quite short you know because you can't fit a lot of information in there but i think making them friendly making them very immediate um and as you say if you can then back it up with a little bit to save money immediately or what you know if there's a a hook there to make them think again it's coming back to this idea of value isn't it what value is there on me doing this now today yeah, yeah and i think it's that as so part of it as you said like it's knowing the objective in the first place what you want to, if you don't know what the objective of it is and the call and the call to action that you need how can you how can you get it right in the first place so um just before we finish up one of the uh, things i wanted to ask you is are there any books that you can recommend because there'll be listeners out there businesses who maybe aren't ready to commit to doing the content themselves or even hiring an expert like yourself but actually kind of want to develop their skills and knowledge around it to really understand the value in it so yeah. is, is there any that you would recommend i think the the best one i i brought it here is this they ask you answer by marcus sheridan he's quite well known he does various videos and things it's very much like what i was saying about putting yourself in your client's shoes he used to sell pools he used to sell swimming pools yeah. in america um and it was about answering the questions that nobody else was answering about costs and about so trying to think about what your clients want to know when they come to your website they come to you because they want some kind of maybe seo or digital marketing they come to me for copyright or what are the questions that they come with and the more that we can do to answer them through our websites through our blogs through our communications the more likely they are to engage it's a bit like um disarming them slightly they've come and they've got all of these questions and all of those questions are kind of barriers to yeah. working with us potentially but if you've already answered loads of them before they've even picked up the phone or filled in that contact form they already feel like they know some of your processes it explains it very well it said in the old days 
nobody really knew much about anything. The internet changed that. We can all do our own research. We can all feel, you know, by the time we choose a financial advisor or whatever it is, we feel like we've done our research. We've looked at what's out there and so on. So we all feel like we're experts in the field to an extent. Yeah, you feel and, like you're making an informed decision because yeah. you feel like you've got enough knowledge, yeah, to do yeah. that. So if you are presenting yourself as knowledgeable, as answering the questions, even the tricky ones that maybe other people don't answer, I think you have to be quite giving in certain ways. I don't think having a really closed attitude works anymore. I think you have to be quite quite giving. I, I've got another one that I haven't read yet that somebody told me about that sounds great, and it's called do slash open slash how a simple email newsletter can transform your business so that's on my reading list next that's by david hyatt um but it looked it's really short it looked really fun and it's that thick you know they always say your best clients are your existing clients because yeah. they already know you and they trust you it's actually much easier to upsell to them or sell them something Same. again and um, so having a regular new even if it's only quarterly quarterly is better than none but something that puts you in front of your existing clients and tells them what you're up to any latest news any little offers whatever is a really good idea to put yourself in front of those people who already know you and like you they've already bought stuff from you so you've done half the battle already so I think um, newsletters and we're going back if you can have a catchy email with a good subject line that intrigues somebody enough to open it you know you're selling yourself already to them you know you've done some of the hard work absolutely I mean that that's brilliant uh, tips and advice there but um, I've just got kind of one last question I'll pose at you and that is um, if you have to give give one piece of advice to business owners who are wanting to kind of review their own uh, stuff to, to see is it right is it on point um there may be uh, what how could they approach it or whatever what one piece of advice would you give them i think the best piece of advice is to research the competition and that doesn't have to be their direct competitor have a look around at what other people are doing in your industry and make a note of your likes and dislikes you know if you're a life coach look up other life coaches look and see and the ones that really annoy you and put you off with a sanctimonious quote or a really cheesy stock photo or whatever make a note of those in your head and when you find the ones that you really do like and where you would consider engaging with them what do you like about it use that information to help you think about what what you need to do with yours and then if you're still stuck you can come to somebody like me I will do a content audit for you on a website give you very diplomatic but frank feedback on what's good and what's bad on your website because sometimes getting that objective opinion you're too immersed in it yourself you can't see the wood for the trees getting somebody from outside to look at your website will often be the really good thing it could just be a really um, a good friend it doesn't have to be somebody official like me but somebody who will give you good feedback on how your website looks to the wider world yeah, I like that. That's brilliant advice. Uh, so thank you for that, Jill. And thank you for joining us on today's episode. Uh, and thank you to everybody who's listening. Uh, don't forget to subscribe. And we look forward to you joining us on the next episode.